Welcome back. I want to gift you a surfboard. I'm buying 12 surfboards this year and I'm giving one, well, I'm buying more than 12 surfboards, very likely, but I'm buying 12 for this podcast and I'm giving one away every month. The first five years of this podcast was just a passion project. At some point, we set up a donation platform, which turned into a subscription and support platform. It's $5 a month. You can set it up on surfsplendorpodcast.com to this day. I maintain a day job. Scott Bass has the boardroom show and various business interests. Chess Smith, of course, has Beach Grit, his books, and his own business interests. But we recognized these podcasts and the potential here for a business. So after doing it for free for a number of years, we set up listener support with independent radio as the business model. We saw how the Surf Magazine model had turned into kind of glorified press releases for the brands. We grew up with it. We loved it. We actually appreciated that for all that it was. But we also saw value in catering content to listeners, to surf fans, to surfers, simply because that is who we are. And you, our listeners, are who we had been communicating with for the previous five years and had been guiding and directing the style of the content that we were creating. So it was within that spirit that we set up the subscription platform. You can support us for $5 a month on surfsplendorpodcast.com. In return, you can access an advertising-free version of all of our podcasts if you want it, and then you'll automatically be entered to win these surfboard giveaways. We also considered a freemium model where some of the content was behind a paywall, but really kind of just felt like that undercut the initial conceit of this entire idea, which was simply to highlight board builders and surf world luminaries and share it with as many people who might be interested as possible. So the more listeners, the merrier. Nothing's behind a paywall. Please, by all means, share this content with friends, anyone who might find it interesting. Today's episode is with board builder Ryan Lynch. We're going to be giving away one of his boards on February 1st to one of our supporters. So if you sign up to support our work anytime before the final minute of January, you will be included to win a board from Ryan Lynch and Timber Surf Co. And like I said, we'll have a new giveaway every month in the year of 2024. So if you don't win this one, don't fret. And of course, this is David Scales here for Surf Splendor. There will be no advertising, no commercials on today's show. And then we're actually going to drop another episode on Wednesday this week too. So consider this a bonus episode and I thank you for your support. Here is Ryan Lynch of Timber Surf Co. Enjoy. Yeah, cool. I'm I'm Ryan. I'm the owner of Timber Surf Company. Um, we're in Santa Cruz, California. And then right now I'm at my shop. Uh it is equal parts wood wood shop and surfboard manufacturing space. Kind of whole whole court in both spaces here. Uh, the weather is freaking beautiful, and it's the beginning of January. And although we've seen a little bit of rain, it's still we're in days where you have to question what winter actually is because it's mm-hmm. like board shorts and t-shirts on the beach. Uh, and the waves are pumping right now. We've had a couple of days of six to eight and that's not going anywhere for the next week so uh town is buzzing everybody is stoked but they i mean is everybody surfed out because it was even bigger than that a week ago it was it was massive but messy it didn't get near for that at all there was like a really small window but when it was it was kind of maxed out in town and everything was like 20 foot plus yeah the town doesn't really hold that very well um, the West side steamers lane that, that kind of has a wave that's always surfable, but everywhere else just got maxed out and messy closeouts and windy. And, um, just, it was more kind of survival mode. I'd yeah. say probably a few dozen people were out in the water that day at most. Yeah. But the shoulder of that, right. As that swell faded out and then kind of like it really pushed around some good sandbars, uh, also did some damage to. The piers and and some parts of town got a little hurt, but some sandbars set up nicely. And so the last week since then has been really good. Are you able to surf at all with a two-week-old in the house? I have been, yes. I've been very lucky. The first kid that I had, it took me probably three to four months to get out in the water. And 
in this this go around. Um, granted, you know it's it's been about two weeks and I've surfed a handful of times already. Um, but we've had a lot of family over, you know, being the holiday season, like there was a lot of help that we had at the house. Yeah. But yeah, my wife is a, is a champ and she loves me to be doing the things that fulfill me. Yeah. For right now it's nap and rest. And for me, it's, it's surf and grind. Good. Well, I'm glad you can manage it because it's, uh, easy to lose sight of, uh, how meditative and restorative surfing can be, you know, and just focus on the family and stuff like that. But then you realize that it's actually important to take a break from that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. If you can see it that way, it's, it's easy to see it that way in pockets. Um, but then you have a bad surf or you kind of like, for me, I, I pass that threshold. Sometimes I stay out a little bit too long and then the rest of the day I'm sleepwalking. Hmm like a happy, happy kind of medium. If I surf for an hour and change, I'm, I'm good. If I surf close to two hours, I'm, I'm falling asleep at the dinner table. Totally. I've, yeah. I hate to admit it, but 45 minutes is good for me. I'm yeah. like, if, if I get a 45 minute window, I can, um, justify taking time away from the family, taking time away from the business, but I can still, uh, get three, three waves in basically in 45 minutes, three decent waves in and feel like I ticked the box for the day, you know? Yeah, it's funny how that number shrinks over time. Both the wave yes. count, of course, the time window. Where you surf is 45 minutes. That Are you scratching with a bunch of other folks? No. 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 I don't even I don't even paddle out into crowds anymore, to be honest. Um, Orange County is wide open enough to where you can find waves to yourself. There, It's always crowded in the main spots, but if you just go down the beach a little bit, you can find lesser quality waves by yourself, and I can pick off three sets in 45 minutes, no problem, you know? Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Le lesser waves at an empty lineup, or or lesser quality waves, but an empty lineup is the preference. Did you grow up in Santa Cruz? No, I grew up over the hill in a town called Sunnyvale. Okay. Yeah, my, my folks were like, well, my dad anyways was a tech early days of tech kind of worked on like the early versions of the laptop with HP. Wow. That was the, you know, Silicon Valley kind of upbringing over there. Yeah. And I also have family ties in Oregon. A lot of my family, my brother was born and raised in Oregon. My dad's kind of history is, is in Oregon. My other brother to this net to this day lives in Oregon has been up there for about 20 years. Um, and yeah, so that was always, it was always back and forth, kind of ping-ponging between Oregon and, and um, Bay Area. And so I went to Oregon for college and met my wife there. And then we moved back to the Bay Area. Uh, we're living in Oakland for a while, and we're always making that drive from Oakland to Santa Cruz every weekend. Uh, and that's a ridiculous drive to be making every weekend. And so, yeah, eventually we, we bit the bullet rent-wise and moved down here uh, mm -hmm. and Although it's very difficult to to pay for this this place that we live, it's so easy to enjoy. Mm. So, yeah, where, it won't be out anytime soon. That's for sure. Where did you discover surfing? Um, Half Moon Bay is where I learned. Between Half Moon Bay and Santa Cruz is where I learned most of the time. I was up in the early days in Half Moon Bay, um, and then once I kind of like, I actually never had a longboard or a soft top. I learned on a pointy thruster. Uh, it was actually a six, five Almeric sashimi model hmm. it had, I don't know. Let's see when I would have bought this is probably like 98 or something. Wow. Okay. Had those, I don't know what they were called, but the, the fin boxes where it had a screw, it had a flathead screw that went through the deck into like the hardware that was built into the board. Um, yeah, had that, had that board for a long time and probably just made a fool of myself over and over again. But to this day, other than like floating around with my kid have never been on a soft top never actually surfed soft top and i, and I, I love that because you don't need to learn on the surf top on the soft top um i don't disagree with you but uh we'll get into the corky later i guess yeah yeah sure as as a, as, yeah. a, as a foil to the soft top basically yeah um tell me about your academic what you study in college and then what uh what was your career path before you've ended up at timber surf co yeah i studied design in school um that that was the 
the move. I thought it was going to be graphic design because I just navigated towards art. You know, it seemed like an applicable field for art and creativity. Um, but while I was at the University of Oregon, they just announced the creation of a program called product design. And it was kind of industrial design meets digital design, if you will. Um, so it was a brand new program and uh, literally bumped into the lady who would become my wife. And she told me she was doing product design. And I thought that sounded like a good good program too. Um, not just for the the purpose of it, but like I kind of wanted to follow her. Mm. And that worked out well. Now married with two kids. Um, but yeah, studied, studied product design at University of Oregon and then bopped around in a couple of prototype fabrication-based jobs, um, shop technicians and wood shops, worked at the Academy of Art University in their design school for automotive design. Uh, I also worked at Tesla for about seven or eight years. And that was, I was a design engineer working under the design studio. So I worked two steps away from the chief designer, which was a rad place to be at a rad company at that time. Um, Tesla's pretty crazy now, but uh, early days, you know, I was there from what, 2012 to 2018, 2019. Okay. Um, so it was, it was, when did, they, when did they launch, launch their first car? Was it 2010? Model S would have been late 2010, I think. Okay. So I was there at like the 13,000th Model S. For some reason, that's stuck with memory. Um, so yeah, that was a ridiculous job. It was awesome. We called it Stressla, though. Like it was so high paced that kind of worked dog years over there. You know, one year at Tesla is like four years in a normal industry job. Um, so as it were, everybody kind of works that job for a handful of years and, and they recruit young talent like myself and many others that were kind of fresh out of school. So they have a low salary cap and people just are so excited and eager to work. They work their butts off for four or five years, you know, until they get all that stock equity kind of dumped and then there's burnout and they just recycle the, the staff. And so that was my, my path. I made it a little bit longer than most people, but I did six or seven years there. Uh, and then quit to basically do this, to do timber. Um, and I was just jumped right in. I knew nothing about shaping when I started. Managed to make some really good boards in the beginning and and also managed to make some really bad boards. Um, kind of kept them all in-house, doing a lot of development and making just fancy wood boards. A lot of like design pieces and just high craftsmanship pieces where I got to flex the building aspect of it a little bit more than the shaping. Uh, and then over the years, it's just the business of timber has evolved. It's moved away from like boards for art as opposed to, or it moved away from art boards and wall hangers to now like fully functional pieces of art that can be hung on the wall, but still ought to be served. Um, tell me more about when you left Tesla, why of all the things that you can get into, why board building? Yeah, I had, I had my heart set on two things. Uh, it was it was either going to be building trailers like wooden tow behind teardrop style trailers or wooden surfboards uh, and the reason for that is because my wife and i got married in 2017 and in our house for the six months leading up to that we had built we built our our own teardrop trailer from the ground up and then our honeymoon was a six-month trip in that teardrop trailer from california to panama and so we spent six months living out of the back of the teardrop driving Pan American highway and like zigzagging through mainland Mexico. Um, and that we just fell in love with that. And that's, you know, we love the idea of building a, a trailer company based on the thing that we kickstarted our marriage with, you know, that was a really appetizing idea. Uh, the, the terrifying part of that was like overhead and just duration and time to ramp and scale that business up would have been really tough. Um, yeah surfboards was was the other option and i just went you know went went knee deep into surfboards is there anybody else building similar trailers as a business yeah there's one company called oregon trailer uh and they that's actually a buddy who owns that business that's another sort of reason why i nudged away from that it's because he helped me a lot to build my first trailer he would like kind of send me um parts lists and bombs and like tips on execution, how to build the right style of hinge for your trunk latch so it doesn't leak when it rains and 
the right hardware to use for this type of door. So it's just whatever, all the things he's learned along the way. He, he definitely helped me out a lot. Uh, and so I didn't want to step on his toes too much, but Oregon trailers is awesome. And those trailers are like super off-road hefty things that are 30, 40 grand per piece, but wow. they're works of art. And the idea of you doing that for your honeymoon, um, whose idea was it? Did you have to talk your wife into it? <laughs> Good question. Um, I've, I've never been asked that. I don't really know whose idea it was. I, I mean, I don't, I truly don't know. I would love to revisit that conversation with her. Um, but no, I mean, I think that kind of tells answers it a little bit. I did definitely didn't have to talk her into it. Um, I think we, neither of us knew what it was going to be like. We, we knew the basics, you know, we knew kind of drive south and like a few key points about safety that everybody was kind of jamming down our, our throats before the trip, but we didn't know what it would look like. We actually thought we were just going to do what do we think. We thought we were going to go all the way to Panama and back in six months. And then as we left home, we ended up spending an entire month traveling through the Southwest through like New Mexico all up, up until Texas. And then we ended up spending three months in Mexico, whereas the plan was right one month top to bottom in Mexico. We just fell in love with so many places in Mexico and everywhere we went, we got told by a different person, local or traveler, like, oh, no, you 100 miles that way. Like, you got to see it. You have to go see this. And here's a great place to stay. And we ended up just driving circles around mainland, taking way longer than we thought. Um, and then when, you know, we found the beach and we got stuck for swells every now and then. And it took two weeks at one spot where we had originally planned two days. So it was super fluid. Um, and we ended up just driving straight to Panama. We didn't do a return trip. We ended up putting our car and trailer on a, on a boat and shipped it back. And then we flew back to like Ventura Oxnard zone and drove up the rest of the way from there. Did you document the trip thoroughly? Not really. Um, what it's, it was 2017. Um, so we had like, I guess that was in, we, it was a little early days of Instagram. We had an Instagram for our trip and that still exists. Um, but we didn't do anything, you know, too deep. Mm. We weren't really trying to be the van life kind of full time yeah. people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ourselves. Um, do you want to share that Instagram? Sure. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's called Vo with the flow. It's a little strange. Uh, I'll, I'll text you the, the page. I don't think there's anything too, uh, too awesome to find on there, but you can see our rig, our rig was pretty cool. Um, so we had this Volvo cross country, this 2006 Volvo cross country, which is the XC70. And that thing was just kitted to the nines. Like I tore that car apart and rebuilt it, like rebuilt the entire suspension package, gave it five inches of lift in the most ghetto, fabulous way that you can imagine. And the thing was breaking down the whole way. And what we did not anticipate is that that model of car, while there are Volvos down in Mexico, that model was never sold in Mexico. And therefore there are no parts to that model. And also we're just turning heads because people have never seen this car before. And we even go to a Volvo dealership in the middle of Mexico city and like everything stops. All of the workers stop and look at us driving in like, what the heck is this? And uh, yeah, it's really a cool tough. car though. It was a cool car and it served us really well. Uh, our all wheel drive crapped out halfway through, which we paid for a bunch of times. Um, and then our axle kept popping out, uh, which we all, which also caused some problems, but yeah. we made it, we literally just like limped onto the loading docks in Panama city, barely driving like 10 miles an hour, just to jump, like a cartoon, man, this thing just barely made it onto the boat. Uh, and then the, Oh, and the day we drove off the boat in California, our axle snapped outright. And yeah, it was, so we, we picked it up, we picked up the car in Oxnard and we drove to Cambria. And about five miles south of Cambria, where we had a campsite, the axle just literally stopped and the car was, it was done. Uh, and I tried to replace that axle since Mexico City, again in Costa Rica. No luck. They said it was 30, 30 days and $3,000 to get it. And when this axle finally snapped for good, it was like two miles away from an auto zone. And they had the axle in stock for 70 bucks. And I just fixed it in the parking lot and we were up the next day unbelievable dude 
Yeah, wow. it was it was crazy. It was crazy, crazy luck. Wow. Yeah. Um, how do you spell vo for vo with the flow? Yeah, vo. And there's some. I don't remember the. Un, there's some underscores involved. I think it's vo underscore with the underscore flow. Okay. I'll text it to you. Okay, perfect. I'll post it in the show notes for anybody who's listening. Um, so then as it relates to board building, why build boards? If you're going to get into board building, why would? Yeah, the the intent, I mean, sustainability is like the, the crux. That's the direction I'm trying to progress in is to build a, a better board that's built better, that lasts longer. Um, and wood is, first of all, it's familiar to me, but it's also... I think the easiest path forward to to find progress in that space and the the real idea upon progressing in sustainability is not necessarily to ditch foam because I think foam is a necessary part of the build but to to ditch resin. And so I wanted to build a board where we that didn't require fiberglass and didn't require thus heaps of wasted resin. And so using wood as the strengthening layer was really the idea behind that and I think I, I have had made a ton of progress. I still have boards that are reflections of that. Um, but none of them are like the silver bullet. You know what I mean? It's just steadily making progress towards a super sustainable build. Um, it's it's really tricky to and that 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 material works. You know, what I mean it's not good, but it works. Foam glass resin is a really functional uh construction style. But so what were the early builds and how do you build a surfboard without resin? Yeah, without resin, you can, you can expect to, so if you, if you rely on wood to provide the strength, you then need to rely on something else to provide the waterproofing. Um, so if you're, if your wood is effectively your fiberglass, uh, you, this, you then do not need the glass itself, but you need something to provide longevity for the wood and the closest thing, the closest avenue for that is like oil-based sealers, wipe-on finishes, varnishes, water-based finishes. And there's things in that space. I tried almost all of them. Uh, and everything is a give and take. It's pros and cons behind each move that you make. I think other parts of the world are doing a really good job at this. There's a lot of board builders in Australia and Europe that are successfully building boards without resin. Uh, unfortunately, each of those boards does require maintenance if you have an oil-based finish or penetrating sealer of some sorts like you have kind of this one to two year window where you need to scrub and refinish your board and while that's a really easy process to do it doesn't seem like in my experience america is ready for that people in this country kind of have that like flash consumerism where they want to buy something and just have it ready to go as long as it lasts and when it breaks or when mm -hmm. it's no longer at peak quality it's it's in the dumpster um so I'm, I've, you know, I've kind of played both ends of the spectrum. I've built boards in like the most sustainable way as I possibly can. And some of my personal boards are that way. I have a board um, sitting over here that has no fiberglass on the outside. It has one layer of fiberglass underneath a cork and a wood veneer scrim. Um, and that's a really good construction for me. I build it for me, but I won't sell that as my business because I found, like I just mentioned, um, people are a little bit in this market or a little bit more finicky with their like longevity and care of the yeah. product. Um, so it sounds like when you started the business, uh, you didn't have a super clear vision on what the business would be, or, I mean, was there clearly there's a gap in the market for what you're trying to do, but you're really defining what it is. And then it's going to be incumbent upon you to find a consumer that wants that thing. Right. Yeah. I've, and I've always let the consumers drive the scale. Okay. Not, I'm not pushing some kind of scale and then letting, and then trying to fit that in the market. I'm, I'm building boards the way I want to. And, and of course, listening to what the market is responding to. I have a few examples of that and ways that I've pivoted my construction style to suit the, the constant feedback I've been getting. Um, but my scale is really what it, whatever is available out there. And I think that's the benefit of treating this like a side hustle and not a, you know, full-time gig doesn't need to pay for my mortgage. You know, it right. just, it needs to of course be worth my time and I need to be proud of the stuff I do. Right. 
but yeah, I'm not, I'm making like two boards a week, really. So a hundred, a hundred a year is kind of the, the cap that we have. Uh, tell me about the current three types of construction that you're doing now. Sure. I have a price point wise and performance wise, we have a low mid and a high, um, the low end price point wise is a corky and that's kind of our solution to a soft top, but, but we call it a semi soft top and it doesn't suck. Um, it doesn't suck for a few reasons. It's, it's made by humans here in our shop. Uh, we don't have any mass manufacturing jigs. We don't really have any compromises on the build process. It is a fully shaped EPS core. It has a normal stringer, normal, normal EPS, like uh, density, fully shaped rail, everything like fin, futures fin boxes, everything as a, as a conventional board would be shaped. And then we, we offset that thickness by a little bit by about a quarter inch total. We, we have a glassed, like a bio-based epoxy glass layer that goes on that EPS blank. And then we vacuum bag on a cork shell to the outside. And then the board is done. Uh, there is no- When you say the glass layer is fiberglass? Yeah, the construction is EPS foam, fiberglass, cork. Got it. Words to outwards. And so, so the board is fiberglass. It does have, you know, that allows it to be durable. It allows it to have the right amount of flex. It allows it to be uh, relatively ding resistant. And then we add on the cork on top of that. And that cork is sort of twofold. It, it offsets the amount of fiberglass and resin that you need, um, prevents the need for wax. It is incredibly ding resistant and we still can have like a properly shaped rail on that thing. Um, and it doesn't surf like a noodle, like a wet noodle, like all kind of soft tops do. Um, so this is like kind of in the premium semi soft top category. Uh, that's the corky, the mid-level so range. Of real, real quick question. Uh, str it's stringerless, correct? They're stringered. Yeah, we oh, they are stringered. Performance ply stringers inside all of them. Got you. And then you said, um, what does the wrap look like on the edge? Like, does it maintain a actual hard edge? Yeah, we get a speed bead on there. We kind of, the cork itself is eighth of an inch thick and it has enough, it has enough, uh, flex and give such that it, it can adheres to the glass shape. So it'll follow that speed bead, um, pretty well. It, it fades off eventually like wear and tear will kind of, you know, the leash wrapping around that speed bead over time, it'll kind of like wear down that hard edge. Um, it still has a functional speed bead on it. Um, Let's see. And, and truthfully, like I ride pointy thrusters a lot. And that's generally what I make for myself between that and like fishy twin fins. And I, I ride these things as my high performance shortboard. I have a corky version of that. And it's it's great. It's probably not the right construction for it. I think the right construction is more closer to like funformance style boards. <laughs> Everything other than pointy thrusters or people that care about like getting points on a bottom turn and that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's got to be very lightweight, I would imagine too, right? Yeah. Super light. Yeah. The, the weight of the cork added is less than, than the amount of weight that we ditch by losing resin. Amazing. Yeah. It's a good, it's a really good construction and they're affordable. Like I said, 650 for a short board is kind of the, the price point there, a thousand for a long board. That's got like it. there. Uh, the mid-level boards that we have are called the textile boards. Uh, and that's, that's either an EPS or a PU core, depending on what the customer wants. I think it's a better build in an EPS core, a lot harder to build that way, but um, I, I like the performance on an EPS core of those boards. And that has a, a normal EPS core, normal stringer, a parabolic cork rail stringer around the full perimeter of the board. And then we have a fiberglass and a flax glassing schedule. So the deck patch is all flax going two thirds up the board. The fin patch going one thirds up the tail is all flax. And then a single layer of fiberglass uh, on top of that flax. And those are the high performance, like relatively normal uh, boards as far as the market is concerned. That cork does a really good job uh, dampening chatter. And that's why I mentioned EPS. Like I like the, the weight of an EPS board, but adding that cork along the perimeter of the entire thing really dampens it and makes it feel like a PU, but it's super light and flexy and like maintains that flex just because it's an EPS board. Gotcha. Yeah. And then the the third tier of board we make is called the Splinter Series. And those are um, on, on the fancier end. This is like the flagship construction that we offer. It was the first thing that we really entered with like a larger degree of scale. 
and it's a low density EPS core with a redwood skin filling the entire deck and then cork rails and cork bottom. And the redwood skin is super beautiful. It's, it's all reclaimed redwood from the Santa Cruz mountains right here in the last tree that we got. It's I could like throw a stone from my shop to like where that tree fell and that tree wow. falls right here. My, I have a, a partner with a mill that only deals in fallen trees. He slices it up, gives it to me. We sticker it and cure it here in our shop. We give it to a neighboring shop who sands it all to thickness. And then we do all the vacuum bagging here ourselves. And that's like a ridiculously authentic wood board. It's not, you know, off the shelf wood veneer. Um, and they're beautiful because of that. Yeah. They end up with some incredible looking pieces of wood. They're all different. It's no repeated wood grain, like plywood, wood veneer style production. It's, it's a really unique piece. So it looks as beautiful as a wall hanger essentially, but they're built for surfing. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to treat, they're expensive just because of the amount of labor that goes into it and premium materials, like I mentioned, like real wood going into that. So you have to treat it really well, treat it like it's expensive, you know, and, and cause you don't want to have to do a ding repair on those things. It gets a little bit more tricky. Yeah. So you mentioned also that three tiers in terms of performance. So the textile, of course, the middle build would be the highest performance surfboard. Um, is there any, given the construction, is there any compromise in terms of performance compared to traditional construction? And is there any compromise in terms of durability or is there an enhancement? Yeah, the Redwood boards, the Splinter Series, those ones are going to be stiffer. So I I don't ride those, again, for like performance shortboard shapes. I ride textiles and corkies for shortboards if I'm wanting to do just, if I want my board to respond immediately under my foot to do exactly what I'm telling it to do. Um, Text, textile or corkies are best for that. Uh, corkies technically wear down over time just by your feet kind of grinding on the deck. You know, it's gotcha. like the eraser on a pencil, like the way that it works, it's it causes abrasion and it wears down a little bit. That doesn't really impact performance at all, but it's the only, it's a visual impact. Uh, and then you can always just add more cork. Uh, otherwise textile boards, high performance, treat them normally. They respond normally, normal glass boards. And then, yeah, the redwood ones, I, I think I mentioned they're, they're a little stiff. Um, they're slightly heavier, almost just like a conventional PU glass job. They don't end up that heavy, but they're a little bit heavier. Um, they're a little bit stiffer and you don't want to, you just, you just, they're beautiful and hard to match a ding repair perfectly. So you want to take good care of those. Yeah. So, um, obviously when, when it comes to sustainability, durability is a huge factor, uh, with the textile boards specifically, is there any enhancement in the durability through the construction or would yeah. you say it's equivalent? Yeah. The theory, the theory was that flax. So actually fiberglass doesn't, doesn't really contribute to the eco footprint. It's resin that does. Um, and the, the, Theory in the first place was to offset resin by having, you know, um, less fiberglass. And that was kind of the decision-making process to develop that board, but it ends up being the same amount of resin. Um, and the only thing that we can say is that flax offers a better impact protection than fiberglass. So you can get a board that's lighter, that has the same, less of a glass layer, quote unquote, that has the same kind of pressure denting characteristics that a normal board would. So it'll last okay. longer, but that's, it's, it's grasping for straws to call those ones super sustainable. Um, yeah. The only thing we do across the board is that we have a bio-based resin. And so we use entropy resins, which is 35% tree sap based. And so it's a, it's a nice, it's a good soft epoxy resin that goes on really well. And it's 35% bio-based content at, at finished volume. So gotcha. that's the best that we have available in the States right now. Other parts of the world, they have a really... They have, a, they're a little bit more progressive with their bio-based materials. You know, in Europe, they have, they have a couple actually, there's one polyester bio resin that's, that's undergoing some trials right now, which is really interesting. It's about 70% bio-based and it's polyester. And that's the first of its kind. Other than that, there's 50 and 60% bio-based uh, epoxies and they're all being tried. I think, I think the downside to all of those is that they yellow really quickly. Yeah. So We'll see. 35% is the best that we have in the States right now while still maintaining like a good functional laminating. Right. Um, who laminates your boards? 
Yeah, I have one guy who's been a, a lifer here in town. His name's Dog, uh, Doghouse Glassing. And he laminates, we do everything in shop here. Okay. We have a small glass room, um, you know, just just two racks with with a whole lot of staging area. And then we have sanding in the shop as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I I've been I've been the glasser, I've been the sander. I'm I'm a full stop board builder. Um so I I do it all myself, but ever since dog came around last year, we're I'm super happy. Allows yeah. me focus on the board building aspects and also just the business end in general. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, I've been to your factory and um Oh, you've been to my old old shop. Oh, you're in a new one then. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I moved. I moved about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Landlord just walked in, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. I moved about a year and, and changed year and a half ago to a new shop. So I'm okay. on the other town. It's in Aptos, like right off the freeway, really close to my house. Um, much better shop, much gotcha. better, smaller, but like better layout, a lot more efficient. Gotcha. Well, what yeah. I was going to say is um, so much craftsmanship and work goes into these boards. And I think listeners could identify that just by hearing you talk. And then um, it, it would require a tremendous marketing plan and, you know, website and all this kind of stuff to actually showcase the detail of everything that you're talking about, but obviously you're doing all the work. And so it's just impossible to fully reflect what you're doing. And I think you do a good job by the way, with the marketing, but it's just, it's so detailed that it would, you need like professional film crew in there documenting some of this stuff to really do it justice. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you do have at least one person helping with one part of the process so that you can actually showcase. But that said, saw you at the boardroom show this year. So you were getting out, showcasing it there. Saw you pop up on Peter King's Instagram, educating Kai Lenny, in fact, as to what you were doing. So you are uh, making some real inroads with the marketing stuff. Yeah, I, don't, I wasn't educating I wouldn't claim to educate Kyle any on, on anything. He asked you <laughs> specifically, what was this? And you told him what that was. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. No, man, you're spot on. It's really hard to do everything justice. And I think the things you pointed out are quite, quite topical. You have a really good, um, really good assessment on that. Cause really telling the full story of what I'm doing here has been a challenge. Um, specifically not in formats like this formats like this. It's great to just have conversation and talk through the different iterations and reasons behind each of the boards. Um, but putting all of that information in like a placeholder on a website or in this forever evolving, uh, Instagram model is really challenging, uh, especially because it's just so time consuming. And so I have a little bit of help, but I don't think we do as good of a job as we should, because even in town here, you know, so many people don't know that there's this company right here that exists that's doing really rad stuff with wood. Um, even though like our our entire business model can just saturate Santa Cruz and not have to move out of place. Um, it's it's a tough game. How do you, you know, there's not well, not a perfect arrow to like solve that visibility. The, no, the other challenge here is that the surf uh, space is particularly just stuck in old construction or traditional construction, I should say. And so when I see what you're up to, like, let's say I just came across Timber Surf Co. on Instagram, I'd be like, oh, somebody making surfboards out of wood. Okay. Yeah. Like it's probably not going to work as good as what I'm used to. And I get it. It's cool. And there's a little segment of the market that might want a wood surfboard, but probably not going to work as good. So I'll just kind of not necessarily ignore it, but just I'm aware of it, but maybe I won't ride it myself until the other day I see uh, Austin Smith Ford pop up on your Instagram, just freaking lighting up a wave. I was yeah. like, holy cow. And then I see that it's timber and I'm like, whoa, now that, now I'm interested, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I've been holding off on like kind of team ridership stuff for the longest time, just thinking that wasn't really a good place to put my energy, but ever since working out a little deal with Austin, um, and we don't have a, a deal. We just, I, I make him boards and he gives me terrific feedback. And the byproduct of that is that he's absolutely shredding on them and, and sending back clips. Um, so it's, it's been great. And I've heard from so many people, just a couple of those clips 
hey, hey, what are the dims on Austin's board? Like, can you send me a picture of that outline? Like, it's it's so funny how that works. You can't argue with it. Um, but then you open Instagram. I don't know about you, but in between the ads, it's nine out of 10 videos of people ripping. And so like, it seems so saturated, yet it's obviously working. Yeah, it's a great point. Well, let me ask you this. Um, somebody who has made inroads against the grain of, uh, or the current, I guess, of traditional construction is dark arts. Mm -hmm. And dark arts didn't invent carbon fiber uh, vacuum bagging, but they really have fine-tuned it and honed it and made it kind of appealing through marketing to the, the market. They've worked with different board building brands um, with their you know, board models and their team writers to kind of get that construction out into the mainstream. And they've done really, really well with it. But through doing that, some of those major manufacturers have realized we could just do this in-house. It's vacuum bagging, carbon fiber. And um, thanks, by the way, for doing all the honing and the R&Ding, but we can do this in our house. And they've done that, you know? And so it's kind of unfortunate for dark arts to be faced with that. But I'm curious from your vantage point, do you see what you're doing as having that mainstream applicability eventually through enough marketing? And could you then see a major manufacturer doing something similar to what you're doing? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think the Splinter Series boards are. I mean that the the mass manufactured version of those was Firewire, right? It was Firewire when they were doing the Polonia skins, and now they stopped doing that for endless amount of reasons. But um, Aloha is doing that now, and I don't know where they're out of, but it's certainly overseas, um, Thailand or Asia somewhere. Um, and that's just, that doesn't excite me. Uh, what excites me is this beautiful wood grain. And I think that's the kind of niche of the market that I have. Nobody's going to be able to do this with the wood sourcing that I have at the price points that I have. And it's taken five years to get the construction right to make a perfectly shaped board. Um, but with that said, it, it ought not to be mass produced, this style of thing. It needs to be a special thing. You know, Ferraris, they don't, they don't make it's a stark comparison, but like there's a reason they only manufacture a certain amount of them a year. It maintains that premium quality, allows them that much, that much more intricacies on the details. And it also maintains the resale value and like the respect to the customer that if you own one, it will always be treated as a special commodity. Um, the, the corkies, a lot of people play with cork. A lot of people have like versions of a cork construction. I don't think anything has like stuck all that well. There's one guy in New Zealand, I'm sure you're familiar, Verduri, Verdur, mm -hmm. although I, nobody knows how to say it except, except Jack, the owner, but <laughs> he's doing some incredible things and he's like actually taken quite a, quite a bit of scale behind his business. I think a conversation with him would do anybody and do anybody's head in. He's such a mad scientist. Um, so I, you know, like there's room. I'm not interested in mass manufacturing anything. I, th I think the corkies are the only thing that has like a good place in the market if they can be made at scale and maintain that sustainability footprint. Um, but as soon as you go into manufacturing, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And if your product quality drops too much, then you lose sight of why you're doing it in the first place. And that's all of a sudden counter to the ethos of the brand and you lose your brand identity as like craftsmanship know, quality, long lasting, durable products. Yeah. I'm open to that. I think I mentioned to the boardroom show, like I'm looking to speak with a factory um, on Corky's, but I don't expect there's going to be a solution there that I'm happy with. Yeah. That makes sense. We'll see. Yeah. Um, just kind of a side note question, but how do you, or how often do you ride other shapers surfboards at this point? Um, I only have one in my, in my quiver and it's a stretch, uh, and I freaking love it. It's amazing. Definitely. I, I go, I go in and out. I mean, I have so much work to do in just continually validating my boards. I'm always tinkering on stuff, whether it's just different glass schedules to test pressure denting or flex, um, or working out a new shape. So I'm constantly pressured to surf my own craft, um, if I had more time, I 
it would be such a huge priority to surf other shapers boards. Um, and I, I want what I want to do more often. I think the best way to do that is to work out trades. So if I were to trade with another shaper, right. And, and if there's equal value behind that, I would, I would love to do that. Yeah. I want to support other shapers at like similar levels than me, which are like kind of small core business. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, there's just, there's only so much time you can spend in the water and surfing is also work for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, we're giving away one of these boards, um, which I am super excited about because it's the exact, everything that you've talked about is the exact type of people I want to work with, the exact type of partnerships I want to have, the exact thing that I want to spend my time thinking about, working on, working with, and the type of, you're the type of person as well. So I'm grateful to be able to do this with you. Yeah, man. So, so stoked. We've been we talked about it a long time ago, so I'm I'm glad this is coming to fruition. Yeah, me too. Um, so what I think we're going to do, you and I kind of discussed it in advance, but just for to bring the listeners up to speed, uh, we're either going to do a corky or a textile. We're not going to try to do the splinter construction. We gotta we gotta cap the cost of this at some point. So we're going to let the listener who ends up winning this at the end of the month, or I guess um, February first, it'll be that we pick the name. They can pick whether they want the corky construction or the textile construction. Um, if you happen to have a board in dimensions that suit that winner in stock, perfect. They can have that stock board. We'll get it to them really quickly. If they need something very different than what you have in stock, then I guess we can build one to suit their uh, dimensions, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. We're I'm a custom shop. Nine, nine out of 10 is custom builds. Cool. Um, but have a wall full of inventory boards and three different constructions, any amount of shapes. It's a crapshoot to see whether or not we have something in stock that somebody wants, but um, e either way. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we pick the winner and communicate with them as to what their needs and preferences are. But consider it a corky or a textile under a certain length, uh, probably around the seven foot length, just to keep the cost reasonable. And then the listener will also be responsible for shipping cost if they're a shipping distance, which they probably will be. Um, but I'm excited. I mean, I'm kind of jealous of them to be perfectly honest. I find myself in this situation interviewing multiple board builders every month where it's like, I need one of those. <laughs> and, and I have too many surfboards already and I have not enough time to even surf anymore at this point in my life. So it's like, I find myself, I, I, a couple of years ago, I think put the brakes on ordering boards constantly and yeah. find myself just being jealous because, uh, yeah, both the, or actually all three of those constructions appeal to me. Yeah. That's, that's the tricky part about being a surfer, right? Is totally to not buy all the new surfboards that you see. Tell that yeah. to Scott. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks. I don't think Scott's listening to me about, about much. Even when I'm talking directly to him on the podcast, I'm not sure he's listening to me all the time. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know him well, only, you know, met him at the boardroom show and had a few chats outside of that, but it seems like he's the guy who, who's gonna like give himself a challenge not to buy a new surfboard this year. Like that's the January resolution or something. And then you'll talk to him in February and he's got three on the way. Uh, no joke. I mean, yeah. literally no joke. That's a tough um, work to be into, man. You're like, you're, you're getting sales pitches all day long. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he's such a surf dog that it's like, he can always justify it. Yeah. Um, how was your experience at the boardroom show, by the way? I was great. Yeah. That was awesome. incredible. My first time going there, uh, as a patron or a vendor. Um, and I understand it was a very good year, so I don't want to be too jaded by that, but I was so blown away both days about the, just, just the magnitude of attendance, the energy, uh, how like the types of people in attendance, how every single person there was actually seemingly an interested party, like not just in learning, but in, in shopping, um, had a lot of really good chats with other vendors kind of within a radius of my booth. It was, it was, that was the only downside is that I had one, one buddy with me working each day and I still couldn't leave our booth to go, go shop. So I wanted to talk to Justin, um, at dark arts and I just, he was, hundred feet away and I just couldn't make it over there the whole time. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Like how quickly that weekend 
gets away from you because you're that busy all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Look forward to doing it again. Um, next year, if, if my family is, you know, comfortable with with and whatnot, um, but yeah, an incredible show. And I, if not a vendor, I will definitely go again as as a, a customer. Well, um, for listeners who maybe aren't in the market for a surfboard, you do make other products as well, right? Yeah, we make accessory stuff, um, mostly out of our redwood. So when we make a redwood board, right, our redwood source is a 10 foot long by two foot wide slab. Um, each skin is about a fat eighth inch, just under three sixteenths inch thick um, before we sand it down to, to size anyways. Uh, and so we make a six foot board out of a 10 foot slab. We got that four foot piece left over not enough for another surfboard, um, but we managed to repurpose that into as much things as possible. So we have fins and this is like a hand plane here that we have. So I'm just showing that to you. So this is all made from the scrap wood coming off of the surfboard building process. So we have um, skateboards, hand planes, fins, and we just came out with a balance board, like an Indo board kind of thing, which actually mm. has been selling really well, um, really good for families and kids. Um, and that's, yeah, that those kind of products are just helping a few things, helping us keep the dumpsters empty, just preventing us throwing away that much more wood and also just offering another product for people to kind of come in the doors and see what we're doing. Not another point of entry into the business. Yeah. Uh, you gifted me a set of twin fins made out of the redwood. Yeah. Up, uprights or keels? Um, they were keels. Yeah. Really yeah. beautiful, really beautiful fins and, fa- you know, fantastic functional fins, but beautiful. Yeah, that's right. At the boardroom show, right? No, uh, it was when I first, when I first met you actually, when I was at your factory. Okay. Awesome. So it was a long time ago, but thanks for that, by the way. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, next time you're coming up, if you're ever coming up to Santa Cruz, um, give me a little notice. I'll, uh, I don't know if you might happen to have some time, but. I'll pull a board aside for you and we can go for a surf. Okay, perfect. I'll make it, make it a point to do that. I find myself in Santa Cruz once a year for some reason or another. So I'll definitely do that. Cool. Right on. Ryan, thank you so much. Excited to share this with everybody and uh, promote it all month long. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Let me know how I can help. Okay, uh, I will. Yeah, thanks for putting it together. All right, man. Chat soon. Yeah. All right, surfsplendorpodcast.com. If you would like to get in on winning a board from Ryan, his work is beautiful, bespoke, and he's kind of a thought leader for practical sustainability in the surfboard world. Check him out at timbersurfco.com and at timbersurfco on Instagram. I've linked to it all on surfsplendorpodcast.com, of course. Thank you, Ryan, for your work and for your time today. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. Regular programming resumes this week, but I wanted to offer you this bonus chat with Ryan just to thoroughly showcase and highlight our giveaway this month. Uh, We've got these lined up throughout the rest of the year with the likes of board building luminaries like Album, Josh Martin, Channel Islands, and we will continue to drop conversations like this on you as well. Bonus episodes. So just thank you for your support. Thanks for allowing me to stay independent. Thank you for the opportunity to do work like this. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'll be back on Wednesday with an all-new episode. But until then, get back into the water, share some waves, and shred on.